The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in the markets. Today's guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, who writes the Trader Column and oversees markets coverage at Barron's, and a whole lot more. Is that right, Ben? Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much describes it. So it is a risk-on day on Wall Street. Really, kind of a wonderful day. The Nasdaq is up 1.4 percent last I looked. The small cap Russell 2000 is up 1.6, and Bitcoin is up 5.5. So by my calculations, the S and P, which isn't up quite as much has rallied, however, 7% from this year's lows. So I'm going to reprise the question I asked at our morning editors meeting, which we have every day. Why is the market rallying when the Fed is clearly going to raise rates another three quarters of a percentage point and do it pretty soon? To me, something doesn't add up. Why are investors pleased? Tell me your take on this. I think uh, they're pleased because the Fed is not going to be as aggressive as it could have been. Um, we had this very strange thing happened last week where the, the markets priced in nearly a 100% chance. I think it was well over 90% chance of um, the Fed hiking um, a full percentage point at the uh, July meeting. Uh, this was after a very hot uh, inflation print and the market really didn't react terribly well to that. Um, but that that slowly got dialed back, partially because of economic data. Um, I thought it was interesting that the University of Michigan sentiment survey, that was the one that caused the Fed to go three quarters of a point um, last month. Um, the expectations for inflation started pulling back there. And um, that that uh, got people thinking, well, that maybe the Fed doesn't have to do something so aggressive. Because that's what really the Fed is worried about more than anything. It's not where inflation is, but they're worried that everyone is going to start expecting inflation to stay so high that they start acting on it. Um, so that would mean like buying stuff they don't need now in expectation that it's going to be more expensive in the future. Um, you know, trying to do companies trying to do the same thing with workers. And what we're seeing is that those inflation expectations aren't coming unmoored. Um, in, in some ways, the investors and, and even consumers seem to think that the Fed is going to be able to start taming inflation at least somewhat. And so you had those uh, expectations for rate hike pull back a little bit. It's still going to be an enormous rate hike. I mean, three quarters of a point for two meetings in a row is, uh, is pretty extreme. Um, but you're also seeing the Fed um, the expectations that the Fed is going to have to go with these big rates uh, increases for a long time. Those are getting pulled back as well. And so I think it's a combination of the two that we're not going to get that big uh, full percentage point rate increase and that these rate increases might be over sooner rather than later are probably helping the market here right now. But of course, that leads to another worry, which is that the Fed will pull back too soon and think it has a grip on inflation, but only to find out that inflation is really quite entrenched and is going to keep rising. 
that, that's right. I mean, that's what happened to uh, the Burns Fed, right? Uh, you know, they they kept thinking, okay, we got it under control, and then it turned out not to be, and you ended up with that ten years of uh, hot inflation and a market that really went, you know, sideways. It was quite painful for anyone who had a long term view on uh, on stocks. Um, and, and, and it's something I think we, we do have to worry about. Um, I was reading an interesting note from uh, Deutsche Bank's uh, Jim Reed um, this morning, who was talking about M2. And if you're looking for signs that uh, inflation is cooling, you might look at M2 and say, hey, look, this is pulling Which back a lot. What M2 is? It's basically the velocity of money. It's money supply. It's right. you know, how much is out there being spent and whatnot. And, um, you know, when it's gone up a lot, that means that there's a lot of money out there that people are spending, chasing a lot of goods. You know, it's the classic uh, economic uh, textbook explanation of inflation. Too much mo money chasing uh, too few uh, goods. And so you get inflation. So it's rolling over. Um, it's starting to shrink. The problem there is that it can take two and a half years um for uh that to work through the economy and so you know it started to roll over a bit ago so but we have might have at least 12 more months of really hot inflation numbers before you really see the uh th this uh, money supply start to have an impact uh on the actual numbers um the, the good news on inflation is that we have seen oil prices pull back commodity prices have pulled back and so things like that um, are likely, you know, to to be much lower as we start getting uh, new prints. Um, and that should also, you know, we hope that, that would trickle over into food prices as well, which have really hit consumers uh, too. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, if you if you're if you're bullish on the market, your argument has to be is that this is 1982. This is an argument that was made by Tom Lee, that uh, you know the the Fed did its Volcker um, what it needed to do with these rate hikes, and it's going to tame inflation and you're going to get a nice big rally from from here um if you're a bear you're looking at this and saying no uh powell is burns he's going to capitulate on this too early um and inflation is not going to be under control and they're going to have to start hiking rates again and that's just going to mess things up horribly i don't envy jay powell at the moment he's got a tough job ahead of him and and, it, and in all fairness it's it's hard it's it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen um you know, it, it, everything's so easy in hindsight. We can look back at uh, all the, the money that was, that, that was given out uh, during the uh, pandemic. And, you know, aside from maybe the last uh, the last handouts that, you know, they were they were probably necessary if people weren't working. Um, but, uh, you know, it, and you always are worried that uh, you're going to kill the economy um, if you remove monetary stimulus too soon. Um, and, and so it's, it's easy to blame the Fed for what it did. But now it's in this position where you don't know if how much of what we have inflation wise is still just a reaction to um, to COVID, um, partially because China still still does lockdowns um, and how much of it is really something that's going to take a long time to go away. And as you said, I do not envy Powell. No, no, very, very tough situation. But in the next few weeks, never mind Powell, investors are really going to be watching and heavily influenced by second quarter earnings reports. We get the bulk of them ahead. So I thought we might take a moment to look at the big picture on earnings, and then we can examine some specific releases coming later this week. And I'm curious what the consensus is for second quarter earnings and where the interesting outliers are. Sure. So, um, you know, earnings growth right now is, is supposed to come in around 4.9% um, or so. Um, 
And, you know, the, the beats have come in uh, around so far, and we haven't had a ton of earnings, but the earnings beats have been uh, in the high 3% uh, area, like 3.7, 3.8%. So they're not nearly as big as they have been um, in recent quarters or um, even on average, but, you know, the, the companies are beating. Um, enough of them are beating that, uh, you know, you can feel okay about it. What's I find interesting is again, this dichotomy, uh, in the, in the market right now, it's, it's, I mean, it's not a dichotomy, it's a binary split. You know, you have people who are looking at these earnings. Um, I'm going to cite Credit Suisse, you know, they, they gave us these numbers that, uh, right now the expectations are for 10.7% growth in revenue and 4.9% in earnings. Um, and then they go ahead and they take out financials and they say, Hey, look, if you take out the financials, then you're going to get a uh, revenue growth of 12.7% and earnings growth of 10.7% and their quote, you're feeling pretty good about things. Um, but then there's uh, David Rosenberg, um, you know, who's probably bearish most of the time. And he strips out energy because uh, energy earnings are supposed to go up 294%. And if you take out energy, then er overall earnings are supposed to fall 3.4% this quarter. And so he sees a profit recession outside the energy sector. Um, and so, you know, his conclusion is we, we may be in for a counter trend bear market rally, but that's all it is. Um, and, and it really is amazing to, to me. I mean, is is how this market um, really, I mean, most of the time you could kind of feel what the consensus is, um, but there is no consensus here. I mean, the, the, the bulls are, are pretty solidly in their camp. The bears are pretty solidly in theirs. Um, I mean, I think one of the, the bigger questions is going to be, you know, it, going back to that inflation is how hot does inflation stay? And then what does that do to earnings? Because if you have inflation, then earnings should be growing with the inflation. And so you might actually get earnings growth, nominal earnings growth, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and and that's just, you know, I'm trying to wrap my head around that and getting myself more, more and more confused about where earnings are headed. And more than that, how the market will react to it. Um, you know, are they going to try to um, look at earnings and mark them down for inflation or will they accept that they're growing because of inflation? Um, it'll be interesting to watch, but so far, so good. So it certainly is one of the most confusing markets I have ever followed. Yeah, I mean, for, from what I could tell, I was reading your, your round mid-year roundtable, and it seems like the roundtable members are just as split as uh, the, the strategist community is. Yeah, that was a big surprise to me. I edited the mid-year roundtable that ran this weekend, and these are 10 investors who don't always have the same opinion about everything, of course, but there was a major split on the panel between those who think the market is going down, never mind a rally this week or next, and those who think that whatever economic weakness we're going to have is going to play out quickly and that now is the time to really be buying because the market is going to be heading back up. And I have to say, by the time I finished editing it, I, my head was spinning. It was hard. It was hard to tell. But I thought Scott Black had an interesting comment about earnings. He's at Delphi Management in Boston. He's mostly a small and mid cap manager. He noted that the consensus estimate for this year is 224.06 on the S&P 500. That's a 7.6% increase. But first quarter earnings rose only 4% or so. Second quarter is coming in about 5.7% based on estimates. And that would mean, he notes, that earnings growth would really have to accelerate in the third and fourth quarters of the year. And he doesn't think it's going to happen. Others, of course, think it will. So it's really um, kind of a show me market at this point. 
Yeah, it really is. Um, and, you know, some companies are going to surprise. Some have been beaten down a ton and even bad numbers um, might be uh, accepted um, in, in, by investors as like, hey, this is the bottom of, in earnings. And, um, it, and I think that's partially what's happening in some of the companies we've seen so far. So let's get to this week's earnings. Before we do that, I'll remind listeners we're going to take questions at the end of the call. So please type them in. Let's start with the big banks. Some of them reported last week. The results were mixed. This morning, we got a report from Goldman. The stock is up about 3%. We heard from Bank of America. And suddenly, the world looks pretty good. So um, tell me a bit about Goldman's earnings. Goldman has been one of Barron's stock picks this year. Yeah, I mean, Goldman was an interesting one because talking about companies that, uh, you know, the expectations had come down so much that, uh, you know, you, you get a beat and things are are, are better. I mean, this was the case with Goldman. Um, I, I believe they're, they were expected at the beginning of the year to report a, a profit of about $8.45. Don't quote me on that, but someplace in that ballpark uh, for this quarter. Um, they uh, those estimates came all the way down to six dollars and sixty one cents, and so uh, the bank was able to to beat that. Uh, reported seven dollars and seventy three cents, um, and uh, you know it was. Uh, I think what's happening here is that um, investors are possibly looking at this, and this is coming from our Andrew Barry. They're they're looking at this number and saying, hey, this might be the bottom for earnings this year. Um, Andrew's also uh, has been bullish on Goldman. Um, one of the things he likes about it is that it's trading at book value, um, and that's often been a uh, floor for the stock. Um, but so Goldman was one that was really able to jump over that lower bar um, and and go up because of that. Um, Bank of America was also reported today, um, and uh, it interestingly missed. Um, it reported a profit of 73 cents. That was below a uh, forecast for 75 cents. But um, they came out and said that they expect net interest income to increase by anywhere between 900 million to a billion dollars during the third quarter from the second quarter. And that seemed to have gotten uh, people, if not excited, at least that helped them um, turn a loss on the initial report into a very modest gain this morning. It's up uh, 0.5%. Um, I do think one of the things that you have to worry about with the bank stocks right now is that um, gold, both Goldman and uh, Bank of America, have they opened up near um, where there had been resistance uh, in the stocks. Um, that's a, the technical term for kind of where the stock had been trying to trade up to that level, but not be able to get through. And this morning, they both traded up to that level and kind of hit a wall there and pulled back from it. And so from a technicals perspective, I'm a little worried about it, um, that perhaps this was more of a, um, a rally on um, just these, uh, the expectations had gotten really low. There might've been a lot of uh, shorts in it. You know, you get some uh, some decent news and a bad tape and you get a bounce, but um, from a, a more medium term perspective, it might not be enough to really get the stocks moving higher yet. Mm -hmm. Something to watch for sure. So let's move on to tech. Everybody's gonna be watching tech earnings this quarter, given how badly growth stocks did in the first quarter and tech stocks in particular excuse me, in the first half. So three companies worth watching are reporting this week, IBM, Netflix, and Tesla. So we could spend a call on each one of those companies, I think, but let's do a run through of what's coming. We've got IBM reporting today. And uh, what's the outlook? 
Yeah, IBM is an interesting one because, you know, it gets lumped in with the other tech stocks, but it's really not like the other tech stocks. It's one that is trying to remake itself after a long period of, you know, really just performing terribly. Um, it, it's had a lot of changes. It bought uh, um, Red Hat, it spun off uh, Kindrel. Um, and the, the stock's actually done well this year where other tech stocks have done terribly. It's up uh, heading into today. It was up 4.7 uh, percent on the year. Um, and it, it, so in some ways, it's more of a value play. And that's, I think, what has has helped it. Um, I was reading a note from Dan Morgan over at Synovus, and he really likes IBM because he sees it. Um, basically, there's less risk. Now, people were never as optimistic about IBM as they were about other tech stocks. And so there's less risk of significant, he says, significant downward estimate revisions. And that's partially because it has a lot of recurring revenue, about half of its revenue is from subscriptions of some sort. Um, and then it has, uh, its, its businesses are in areas where people are still spending money. So about 75% is software and services. Um, and this is a stock that I should mention that our, our Eric Savitz was bullish on, really close to the bottom. Um, in, in sentiment towards it uh, had been really just a terrible performer and he kind of nailed it um, uh, with uh, with a Barron's cover story a while back. Um, but it's one that uh, very possibly can keep doing well. It's interesting. IBM was ignored when tech stocks were rising over the past two years and now it's finally having a moment to shine. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's so much of this market is like that, is that, uh, you know, these these turnaround stories, if, if they're actually able to show signs of life, um, they're actually holding up quite well, even in this tape. It's finding these the, the idiosyncratic stories rather than the big thematic ones that seem well, to be. You can't be a out. momentum investor anymore. That's that's really the problem here. Yeah, that's that's if you're trying to rely on momentum, you're having a tough time this year. Or perhaps it's the opportunity. <laughs> So let's talk about Netflix. The company really shocked Wall Street in the first quarter with bad subscriber numbers, a, a kind of grim outlook, and was followed by a lot of hand-wringing about the future of Netflix and whether it would remain a dominant player in streaming. What can we expect to hear from the second quarter reports? Well, I, I mean, I think what everyone is focused on is still that subscriber uh, number. Um, and, and it might not be great. I mean, it's gotten so big that it's it's hard to keep that growth coming. Um, but Rich Greenfield over at Lightshed was making some interesting comments just about um, that for streaming companies right now, it's all about the amount of time that is spent watching. Um, and that, um, it, that, that really, uh, the focus is going to turn to Netflix and this idea of an ad-supported um, tier. Um, that it's, it's expected to launch at some point. There were reports that it's engaged with Microsoft to help manage this. Um, but uh, saying that uh, th there's a lot of, there's very low churn at Netflix because people spend a lot of time on it. And so he was, he was running some math that if you have 40% of Netflix um, subscribers ultimately take the lower price and watch the ad supported tiers, Netflix would rise to the number two ad supported streaming platform in terms of the time spent. Um, and that is a huge opportunity for it. And so I think that's what people are really going to think about here is, um, is how does Netflix manage this shift to having an ad supported um, tier and what can the profits be like there? Um, and, and if Netflix can change that conversation, the stock can do, could probably do pretty well. It's down 69% this year. That was through, um, 
through Friday's close, uh, which is just amazing when you think about it. Um, and so in some ways, I mean, it's going to involve changing the story a bit. Um, but at, at these levels, maybe it's gotten beaten up enough that it can it'll have an easier time doing that. Um, I actually wouldn't be surprised if uh, it, whatever number it reported was actually welcomed by the market, um, at least in the short term. Well, the stock is up more than four and a half percent today. So somebody is liking Netflix and you have to give the company credit for pivoting to an ad supported opportunity, which um, people really hadn't talked about for a long time until most recent troubles. And then Netflix was pretty quick to get with that program. Yes, it was. So I think it'll be an interesting situation. Tesla. I'm not sure we have paid much attention to Tesla because we've been heavily focused on Twitter and whether Musk will actually, whether Elon Musk, who's the CEO of Tesla, will actually buy Twitter or not. But what's happening with Tesla? Um, It's been, I mean, it's been kind of a mess because the company, I mean, for the most part, it is, it is Musk, right? So um, the more attention that is that he's putting on Twitter, the more attention we're paying attention to the Twitter Musk battle, the less uh, I think people are feeling enthusiastic about uh, Tesla. Um, I, I think the, you know, the people are sort of uh, getting ready for these earnings to not be great. Um, the, 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 the They're supposed to report a profit of $1.83. Um, that would be uh, up from $1.45 a year ago, but the stock is down 32%. And that's because uh, you've seen um, really the extent of what growth was supposed to be this year. They're supposed to have something like 1.7 million deliveries at the high end um, at the start of the year. And now the the, the goal is probably closer to 1.4 million. Um, and that's because of China, um, where there's been lockdowns. And so car sales have been... Uh, really stuck and um, just because of global supply chain issues. Um, but uh, Deutsche Bank actually came out today and said that, you know, this is a good time to to buy um, Tesla. They're adding it to what they call the short-term catalyst buy list ahead of earnings. Um, and that- uh, short-term catalyst? Is it earnings? It is earnings. And they think that the company is going to have upside to the street expectations for margins so that the margins will be better than the street thinks. Um, just because they're going to have good cost execution um, and they're going to be able to and they have good pricing strength. Um, and then they ex- they think that the uh, the company is also going to be able to um, to, to meet uh, the estimates for the, the full year deliveries growth um, and uh, of that uh, 1.4 million cars um, and that there could be a, a lot of sales in the a lot of deliveries in the second half of the year. And that probably will be helped by the new factories in Austin and in Germany. Um, and so, you know, Deutsche Bank is very optimistic about it. Um, and um, we'll see. I mean, I know I've, I've also uh, been reading things that say, well, you know, Tesla heading into earnings, often the, um, um, the, the path of least resistance is in the direction it's been going, which would be down. Um, but Deutsche Bank obviously feels different. So it's going to be an interesting one, as it always is. So Clay asked a question, do you think Tesla is a good stock to overweight for the next decade? And I, I think rather than the next decade, which seems a very long time to overweight anything at the moment, let's look at Tesla as a potential long-term holding. Does it make sense, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how I would size it um, is, is my problem. Um, but it, it, let's, not, let's not worry about that right now. Um, I, I do think Tesla is one of these stocks that you kind of need to own 
um, at some point, just because it, it does have such a big lead in the United States uh, in EVs. Um, it makes cars that people um, want to buy. Um, and it has so many other options uh, in play um, from its charging stations, which is probably going to open up. I think it is opening up to um, other cars. Um, so that could become a, a revenue source down the line. It's the battery packs, the solar. I mean, there, there's so many things in play with Tesla that if you have the EV lead that they do, plus um, you have all these possibilities that even if one or one of them goes right, that, that adds even more revenue that I just think that is something where you probably would want to have some sort of position in that. Um, I, I think the, the question becomes then sizing is like, how much do you want to put into a Tesla? Um, and, and it probably comes down to risk tolerance. It comes down to how do you feel about Musk? Um, he does, uh, his behavior has been, uh, shall we say erratic? I was um, thinking that and more. And, uh, you know, that 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 creates a key man risk. Al, Al Root, a reporter here at Barron's, has written about that a bit, that, you know, the, the company still is synonymous with with Musk. And so you do have this key man risk there that uh, that could be an issue. But it, it's it's something that seems like it would be hard not to own um, for the long term, just given how well it is doing and the possible um, the possible opportunities it has in other areas going forward. Interesting. Let's talk for a moment about oil. Um, we've got Halliburton reporting this week. It was a pick of Mario Gabelli in the mid-year roundtable. What is Wall Street expecting? Um, they're expecting, uh, you know, I think they're expecting good news. Um, uh, Goldman Sachs certainly is. Um, they were uh, looking at it. So it, it's, it's Halliburton's really a play on um, North American uh, fracking and, and drilling. It's an oil um, services company. Yes, it is. And uh, so, you know, they're actually thinking that there's pricing power there, that uh, Halliburton is going to be able to uh, uh, um, to raise its forecast for margins. Um, it's already expecting a uh, four percentage point uh, margin improvement, and maybe it's going to be higher than that. Um, and, and because there is a demand for its services. Um, and so it's expected to report a profit of uh, 45 cents a share, and that would be up from 26 cents. Um, and it's also gotten beaten down a lot. It's uh, near its support around $25, $26. Um, and so, I mean, again, so much just depends on that price of oil um, and uh, and where it, it could be going. But, uh, you know, I'm going to say these words and I'm going to kick myself for it, but all <laughs> else being equal, like I look at the chart and I look at the expectations and they seem beatable. We'll see if you're right. Don't beat yourself up. So Steve asks about your thoughts on oil stocks. He notes that our, the price of a barrel of oil has come down due to a drop in demand. That's what high prices do. They kind of kill demand. But supply constraints are an ongoing issue in the industry, whether it's um, less drilling here or curtailment of Russian supplies. Do you think oil will go back up toward its previous price? What, what is the general thinking about oil prices at this point? Oh, they're, you know, <laughs> so binary, just like everything else in this yes. market. Um, you know, there, there are people who are, are looking at this and saying, oh, it's, uh, you know, there's there's still a super cycle to come. Others that uh, see a recession and uh, expect oil prices to fall. Um, I mean, I think the one thing that I like to think about, what do we what do we know? 
Um, I think one thing that we know is that uh, this is um, not the oil market of the previous uh, decade um, where, you know, you had that uh, huge drop uh, first in like 2016 that had um, all the oil companies uh, seemed like they were, you know, all the, the smaller oil companies certainly seemed to be on the verge of, of, of bankruptcy um, before oil finally bounced back. And then you had the negative price during the pandemic. Um, but the, I don't, I, I would be surprised if we ever see anything uh, like that again in the in the next uh, five to ten years. Let's say um, that uh, uh, certainly in the medium term, that that oil is there's demand for it. The shift to um, uh, the, the shift to renewable energy is is happening, but it's not going to be fast, and you're going to still need um, need oil, and, and you're going to have uh, these kind and oil producers kind of realize that they can't, uh, you know, that they, they, as much as they would like to pump and pump and pump, A, they might not be able to just because they don't have the the pipes and the people and whatnot to do it, but also because that just leads to another round of them, you know, oil prices falling and their business, uh, you know, getting hit hard. Um, so I would expect oil to, to remain strong-ish. And that would mean that, uh, you know, outside of the way that um, oil companies chase prices up and down, that, you know, if they can consistently keep paying out these dividends at the way that they have been and and to targeting free cash flow, then the sector will be much more investable than it had been uh, in the previous decade. Sorry, that's a big, answer. No, but it's a good answer because there's been a big change in the oil patch toward a more responsible investing in production while also rewarding shareholders. And shareholders have demanded it. Companies have listened. And it's one of the reasons why the stocks are more attractive at this point. That's right. So let's talk about airlines before we have to sign off today. Delta missed earnings last week, but everybody is flying. This industry is having a golden moment in terms of traffic, but it's sort of a giant mess at the same time, perhaps because of all the traffic. So we're going to hear from American Airlines this week, United Airlines this week. What's ahead? What is Wall Street expecting? What will the companies say? Well, the everyone is kind of worried about what happens when this wave of like demand for travel wears off. No one knows how real it is. Um, in the same way that we have seen with everything else post-pandemic, um, whether it was like Peloton bikes. Peloton made the mistake of assume, assuming that the demand for their bikes was going to keep going um, once uh, the pandemic was over, and it was a, um, a, t- a terrible bet. Um, what's interesting to see with the airlines, that, that, that you have the same fears. Are people going to want to keep traveling um, the way that they are um the way that they have have been right now is you know they call revenge travel i think is the term yes um and i think what is interesting about it is that you know the airlines are not bringing capacity back um to chase this demand um so they're not doing what say a peloton did um and so i was reading a city note that was talking about how capacity on a per capita basis is scarce um, and that, uh, you know, right now demand is still solid. And so even if demand would pull back a bit, it's not like they've they've built out all this capacity to handle demand that's going to go away. They have it. Um, and so you would expect that, uh, you know, business would be able to hold up um, even if demand uh, does pull back somewhat uh, in the in the months ahead. Um, it, it's uh, It's been interesting to see the stocks because they just haven't been 
great this year. Um, you know, American is down 19%. United was down 11%. Alaska is down 21%. Um, I, I think the optimistic side of looking at them is um, when I look at the charts, they've all pulled back to um, support levels. Um, and it's, it's the kind of thing where if they're going to make a bounce, they they probably want to do it around here. Uh, so even Delta, which got uh, punished the uh, the day that its earnings came out, partially that was because American um, released guidance the day before that caused all the airline stocks to go up. Then Delta came out and it missed. Um, but it held uh, pretty well the support level that it has around oh, $28, $29. And it's now rallying off of that. And so I think that's partially what you want to see is that these stocks try to act a little bit better around these areas um, because they really haven't been able to uh, get anything going. They've been pretty lousy this year. Um, but I think you have to feel fairly optimistic about the business side of things at least. Right, for sure. I can't see travel, the appetite for travel ending. It was it was pretty strong before COVID. Yeah. So I think there's more than revenge travel here. So I want to take a few questions that have come in um, for a moment. Robert asks about bond spreads. What is the two to 10 year telling us and the 10 to 30 year? And, uh, excuse me, the 10 year to three month. Sure. Any thoughts on the yield curve? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the two tens has uh, inverted uh, pretty solidly. Um, and, you know, it's one that these days gets um, a lot of, um, you know, people people don't give it a lot of respect. Uh, I think the, the favorite is that 10 year, three month. Um, and um, but but you still have to look at it and say, uh, you know what, this is this is not a good sign. Um, you don't have necessarily think that it's a recession, but that, uh, you know, there is slowness, which we know. Um, Hello, the, uh, Ben? Am I not here anymore? Am I still here? Can you yeah, hear me, Lauren? Yeah, I'm there. I think one of us dropped off for a moment. Sorry. Uh, okay. Might have been. No, no worries. Anyway. Uh, have you finished up on bond spreads? I missed the conclusion. <laughs> no, it's uh, uh, my my conclusion is that it's something that we have to respect. Um, the, the ten year three month is flattening, and uh, their inversion there would really be a warning. But that's the one to keep an eye on. Duly noted. All right, last question comes from Gail. When do you expect the U.S. dollar to moderate in strength? The dollar has been one of the strongest stories all year. It's really incredible watching uh, what the dollar has done. I would say that it is moderating uh, today. Um, in the past couple of days, it's, it's come in a bit after this uh, big run, which I think it needed to. It had traded well above um, its uh, moving averages, um, which is often a sign that uh, it needs to take a pause. Um, I, I think what, uh, what what's going to keep it going, if it keeps going, is going to be, what does the ECB do? It has a um, meeting this week. Um, is it going to finally acknowledge that uh, inflation is a problem or is it going to kind of tiptoe into it? Um, and um, I think the uh, that uh, the answer to that question will help determine uh, where the dollar goes. Um, and also the um, uh, what happens with uh, with Japan and how they decide to uh, manage what's going on there, where they're trying to do yield curve control. Um, so it, it'll be interesting um, to see. I, I do think that the dollar needs to take a break, but I would not be surprised to see it keep uh, rising uh, for a bit longer, just because there are so many stresses in the global economy, so much demand for dollars, um, just because uh, inflation is so high around the world. Um, you know, people 
when the dollar was when inflation was low and the dollar was cheap, people borrowed it. They bought stuff with it. They levered up, and uh, we're unwinding some of that now. Um, and uh, it, there could be more upside ahead for it. Not downside. Also, the cheap, excuse me, the strong dollar has been a great benefit to travelers abroad, American travelers abroad. That it has. So I'm not saying that all the travel going on in the world is U.S. travelers, but it doesn't hurt. So with that, Ben, we're going to sign off today. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, Lauren. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, Eric Savitz, Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, will speak with Ryan Jacobs, CEO of the Jacob Internet Fund, and they will have a look at Internet stocks ahead of earnings, which should be coming out in the next two weeks. Should be an interesting call. Thanks again, everybody. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.